Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm kicking off a brand new series today called The Gift. Everybody say The Gift. And it's going to be a a really cool series because what we're going to do is we're going to look at the three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus when he was born. They they brought him three gifts, but each of those gifts that they brought um, gives us a picture of who Jesus would become. It it, it gives us a picture of what Jesus represents. And so uh, I think it's going to be a a great series for the next three weeks. I want to call this first message, I want to call it, No One Understands Me. How many of you have ever felt like no one understands you. Come on, raise those hands high. If you've ever had that moment, well, nobody really understands, or no one gets me. Uh, We have all had seasons where we felt like that nobody understood us, no one was able to get us. And and so in this first message, I hope to help you with that, uh, to show you that Jesus does, in fact, get you. He understands you, but he also identifies with you. And so we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew uh, at the time around his birth. And let me give you a little context to Matthew chapter 2 before we read it. If you don't know the story, Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. Um, And there was some wise men that you might know them as magi. They traveled a great distance to come and worship Jesus. And not only to come and worship Jesus, they traveled a great distance to come and present him with gifts because they believed that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the Savior, the one that the prophets spoke about. Uh, And if you remember the story, King Herod said that if you find him while you're searching for this Messiah, this Jesus, when you find him, Um, Let me know, and I will come and worship him also. Now, we all know he had no intentions of worshiping Jesus at all. And I've made this statement before, um, but I think it, it fits here that if you won't be a part of the search, you will never be a part of the worship. He he said, when you all search and find him, let me know, and I'll come worship. But if you're not a part of the search... You will never be a part of the worship. These wise men were a part of the search, therefore they were a part of the worship. And the worship led to them giving gifts, them offering Jesus something. Your worship will always turn into you offering God something. Whether that be money, whether that be time, whether that be your heart, how many our worship will end with us offering to God that which he has blessed us with, that we will, we will offer him a gift in our worship. Now, quick question, how many wise men were there? I knew y'all was going to do that. Three. You know, truth is we have no idea. The reason tradition has passed down that there are three wise men, and your little nativity scenes have three wise men, there were probably dozens of wise men that came and presented him gifts, but the reason we think it's three is because there were three gifts mentioned, Um, but probably dozens of wise men, and the three gifts were frankincense, myrrh, 
and gold. Uh, frankincense, myrrh, and gold. And, and these wise men came, presented him with these gifts, and um, what we know about the magi or the wise men is that, number one, they were highly educated, they were probably incredibly wealthy, and the third and most important part is they were desperate to meet the one that would be the bridge between them and God. How many are thankful that Jesus did become that bridge between us and God? So in Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, let's read it. It says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Can you imagine extremely educated, wealthy, wise men with gold, frankincense, and myrrh showing up to the birth of a baby to bow and worship? That's exactly what happened. It says, then they opened their treasure chest, and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, Karen and I have had three kids, and we've never been presented gold, frankincense, or myrrh uh, at any of the births of our children. We've never had anybody show up with a block of gold. No one with frankincense, no one with myrrh. We, we've received diapers and wipes and onesies. And the most important gift of all, the, the baby snot sucker. You, very, very important gift, by the way. Um, but these wise men, they offered three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these gifts were not only valuable, but they were practical, yet deeply spiritual. In fact, Bible scholars agree that these gifts were not only useful to the family, but they foreshadowed some images that Jesus would represent. The gold represents his royalty, represents that he is in fact a king. The myrrh represents him as a suffering servant or the lamb of God. Today we're going to talk about the frankincense, and uh, before I explain what the frankincense means. I want to tell you a little bit about it uh, from a practical level. Frankincense is kind of a Swiss army knife. In other words, it has a lot of purposes, a lot of things that, that it's useful for. Uh, frankincense oil possesses antiseptic, diuretic, digestive, sedative, uterine, and other therapeutic properties. I don't know what that means, but I read it somewhere. Some of y'all are like, what does a pastor do all week long? He reads stuff like this. Um, but anyway, the frankincense uh, was a very expensive, practical gift that was dedicated to heal sicknesses and wounds. It was also the oil that the priests would use during the sacrifices to burn incense and that would make the smoke rise up into the heavens, symbolizing the prayers of the people rising in faith to God. And, and this is important. You may want to write this down. Frankincense represents Jesus as priest, specifically our high priest. The question would then become, why would Jesus be the high priest? And I'm, just, I'm not going to preach long today, but we're going to go deep. Is that all right? For just a few minutes. I've got to take you down this, this uh, road for just a minute. Jesus is, the New Testament bears it out, that he is our high priest. The priest in Scripture 
served one big primary role, and it had two functions. And here it is. The high priest represented the people to God. That was the main function. They represented the people to God, but it was broken down into two functions. First, the priest made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. All right? That's the first the first way that they represented the people to God was the sacrifices made for the forgiveness of sins. As the priest, he would take an innocent animal and he would sacrifice it to represent the forgiveness of the people's sins. Secondly, the priest would pray prayers on behalf. Aren't you thankful that you don't have to have me pray for you, but you can actually go into the throne room and pray now? Anybody thankful that you have an audience with the king? But he, in the old covenant, he would go in and pray prayers on behalf of the people of, of God, and he would represent the people to God. So he would offer sacrifices, and then he would offer up prayers. Let's start with the sacrifices. Let's look at that for a moment. Since the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when Eve was first tempted and took the forbidden fruit and then shared it with her husband, there have been two opposing forces in the world. Here they are. You've got the holiness of God. Everybody say holiness. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. Now, admittedly, in our culture today, a lot of people don't like to say that we sin. We like to use a lot of other words because we, we think the word sin is just too tough. We, we say things like, I have a weakness, or I have a shortcoming, or I missed the mark. But since the beginning when man failed, it has been the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And we need to get better in the church community of just calling our weakness, our shortcoming, where we miss the mark, of calling it what it is. And it is sin. You have the holiness of God and you have the sinfulness of man. And, and so, there was one person who made this statement. They said that sin is a very outdated term, and it's used to trick children into being good. In other words, who needs sin when you got Elf on the Shelf? Right? Now, we do Elf on the Shelf, too. I'm just saying, but who needs sin if Santa Claus is keeping a list of who's naughty or nice? Uh, and I'm not against all, any of that stuff, but I'm just saying the challenge is, is that we have to understand the reality of sin because there's the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, and here's a point you better write down. If we don't understand the holiness of God, we'll always have a casual approach to sin. This is so important to understand. If we don't understand the holiness of God, I will treat sin casually. So we got to understand what it means to serve a holy God and what the cost is to sin. The Bible says that the end of sin is death. That sin separates us from God. God is Holy. What, what does that mean? It comes from a Greek word which means separate. It means other. What is God? God is transcendently separate. 
Our God is perfect in every single way. He is flawless. He is pure. There is no fault in him. He has never done wrong. He has zero stains. Holiness isn't just one of the attributes of God, but holiness is the perfection of all of God's attributes. His power is holy. His grace is holy. His mercy is holy. His glory is holy. His love is holy. He is transcendently separate. It's his otherness that we have to understand. He is separate and he is sin. The reason God hates sin so much is because it is the exact opposite of who he is. God can't tell a lie because if God says the sky is green, the sky is going to be green. He is flawless. He is pure. He is separate. It's his otherness that sets him apart. And none of us come into the world, not a single one of you, not the nice person you work with, not your spouse, not, not your kids, not, not, not the pastor. No one comes into the world without a need for Jesus. That we come into the world and we are stained by sin. The Bible says in Romans, we have all sinned, which means we've all done something wrong. We have all fallen short of God's standard. And sin literally breaks our intimacy with God. Now, I know that's heavy in the Christmas season, but it's really not that heavy when you understand Jesus is our high priest who has satisfied the sin problem. He has met the requirement of the law that he took our sin upon himself. Come on, somebody. And he has become your replacement now this is this is good stuff it's it's the whole reason why God hates sin because it's everything he's not it's the opposite of his holiness it disrupts our intimacy it it disrupts the fellowship that we have with the father when you let sin in your intimacy with him becomes distant the same that it works in all of our relationships. When you let things in that shouldn't be there, how many of it breaks the intimacy? It breaks the fellowship. And that's what happens with, with sin. And the high priest in the Old Testament, since that's what the frankincense speaks to, is Jesus is our high priest. The high priest in the Old Testament would make a sacrifice, and that, that was a temporary payment for the sins of the people, and they would do it once a year. It was known as the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And the priest would sacrifice this innocent animal and go to the tabernacle behind the veil to a place known as the Holy of Holies. The priest would then light the frankincense. Everybody say frankincense. He would light the frankincense and this incense would, would let smoke rise up into the heavens, and it represented the cries of the people asking God for mercy. That's, that's what it represented. And the priest would then take the blood of that innocent animal that had been sacrificed, and he would sprinkle that animal's blood on the mercy seat. And this would symbolize the death of an innocent one in place of the guilty one as payment for sins. How many of you have ever heard of the phrase, the scapegoat? This is where we coined the phrase. 
Jesus has become our scapegoat. In the Old Testament, it was a literal goat that they would, they would confess the sins of the people and symbolically transfer the sins of the people onto the innocent goat, and they would drive the goat out of the community into the wilderness many times to have that goat jump off of a cliff, separate. What that symbolized was is how far God would remove our sins from us, that he was driving it out out of their community. Now, for some of you, that's a little extreme, maybe a little gross, maybe, maybe even a little unfair that an innocent animal had to die in our place. Who would come up with that? God would. And this is so important. Don't miss these next five minutes. Because God is just, completely just, he must punish sin. But God is not only just, he's merciful. And here's the beauty of what God does. You can write this down. The sacrifice satisfies God's justice and at the same time extends mercy. Please hear your pastor today. The next time you think that someone got away with something and that God is not just, or there's no justice system to the things of God, please, please don't, 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 don't question God in this because he is completely just, but he ex- extends mercy at the same time. And it's powerful because a lot of times we forget that Jesus has become the scapegoat and all sin has been judged, all sin has been punished when God had to turn his back as they beat on his son and spat in his face because Jesus became the ultimate scapegoat and our sins were transferred onto him so that we could be made the righteousness of God. Can you take 10 seconds to give Jesus some praise that he took your place, he took my place, his justice was satisfied, and yet his mercy has been extended. It's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. It is a price that has been paid, that one pays the price so another can experience the forgiveness So God's holiness, through his holiness, his justice is satisfied and his mercy is extended. In the old covenant, that was a temporary fix. They had to go in every single year and do the same thing over because it only temporarily covered them. But Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 12, before I read it, you need to know we are not old covenant people. I am so tired of new covenant people trying to be old covenant people. I I lost some people right there. We got a bunch of new covenant people trying to go back. And the New Testament says we have a better covenant based on better promises. It don't get deeper than Jesus. You can do all that stuff you want to do, but we're not old covenant people. We are new covenant people, and Jesus doesn't go in once a year to make atonement. The Bible says he went in once and for all, and he did not sprinkle the blood of an animal. He sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat so that you and I would have a seat at his table. 
New covenant people got to stop trying to go be old covenant. Jesus is enough. I'll hit some religious stuff right there. Hebrews 10 says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Your stuff, your religious stuff don't make you holy. I don't care how many feasts you attend or observe. It don't make you better. I'm going to say something strong right here. Spiritual blindness, do you know what, the, what, what that is? When, you're, when the Bible speaks of spiritual blindness, the root of that is pride. And do you know who was the most spiritually blind people in Jesus' day? The scribes and the Pharisees who observed the whole thing. They even prayed prayers. God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. They prayed that. Read it. Jesus talked about it. They thought they were better because of their commitment. Jesus calls that spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. I didn't say this in the first service, but this didn't cost you anything. This is free. So he says, for it was God's will for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. I think we ought to take a praise break that the sacrifice Jesus made was good for all time. Come on, take 10 seconds, take 20 seconds, and give God praise for Jesus. Give him praise for Jesus. He took your place. He took my place. This would be a great time for an illustration, and I didn't prepare. But it would be, I'll do a better job next time, all right? It would be like if I could just bring somebody up that had on a dirty coat for just a moment. And it was filthy, mud all over it. All of us, when we come to God, that's what we look like. It is completely covered, it's dirty, it's tainted, it's smelly. But when we come to Jesus, you know what he says? He says, take off that filthy smelly, sin-ridden garment, take it off because you can't cover yourself anyway. I've got a new coat for you. I got a new robe for you. I got a new covering for you. And it's like he takes off the old. There's an exchange that happens. I give him my, my filthiness. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. On my best day, I'm filthy. He says, I want you to give me that which is filthy because that was on Jesus on the cross. And I want to give you something that is holy. Anybody thankful that Jesus has given you something clean, something that makes you holy, not because you're good, but because he's good. I'm preaching hard. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is our high priest who gave his life. He satisfied the justice of God because sin has to be punished. And it was satisfied at the cross. 
You say, you, sometimes you, we scratch our heads and wonder, well, how do them people get by with that stuff? Because it was already poured out on Jesus. Now, if they don't repent, how many know ultimately they will burn in hell? But God don't have to whip people while they're walking around on the earth and beat them up because if they don't change, how many know eternity's a long time to be in hell? And he's already poured out his judgment on his son. So, so the justice of God has been satisfied, and because it has been satisfied, it's why we can stand up here and say, you're welcome here. You can belong before you believe. Why? Because God's justice has already been satisfied, and now it's time for us to accept the mercy. It's the goodness of God. Listen, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. The reason we change, the reason we repent is because God is so good. It's his goodness that leads to that. And here's the thing. We say, no one understands me. Jesus is not a distant Savior who feels sorry for us, but he is a high priest who understands and cares. As I was writing this message on Monday, I could feel the weight of what I was going to be saying today because we may think that no one understands us. We may think no one gets us, but Jesus being our high priest not only understands us, but he identifies with us. In Hebrews chapter 4, 14 and 15, it says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So the writer is saying, Jesus understands my weakness. He understands your weakness, that he faced all the same testing that you and I face, yet he did not sin. What does that mean? It means that Jesus relates to your trials. It means that he sympathizes with your pain. That whatever you're going through in this season, he understands what you're going through. If you're stressed out right now and overwhelmed, understand that at the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus' friends abandoned him, he knew what was coming. The Bible says he fell to the ground and he said, my soul is overwhelmed in agony to the point of death. Listen, if you face anxiety, Jesus gets it. If you face betrayal, he gets it. If people you love turn their back on you, he gets it. He understands where you are. If you've got crazy people in your family, Jesus gets it. He understands what you're dealing with. Jesus dealt with crazy people in his family. I believe having crazy people in your family is a spiritual principle. Walk with me for just a minute. Every family has crazy. Everyone does. And, and just to do a little poll, let me have a little fun. Um, if you've got <laughs> some crazy folk in your family, and you know they're crazy, come on, raise your hands. Raise your hand. Keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Now look around the room while your hands are up, and if you see anybody that doesn't have their hand up, look at them, smile, and give them a wink, because every family has some crazy. Yeah, 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 just give God a praise for it. We all got crazy family. We all got crazy people. 
Some of y'all didn't get that. That means you're probably the crazy person. All right, let's move on. When Jesus said, (laughs) I'm having fun. When Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, his family said, you crazy. You ain't making no sense, Jesus. You, you, <laughs> what do you mean you're the savior of the world? No, you're Joseph's son. You're the carpenter's son. We know your family. We know your brothers. and si- We know you. You must be crazy thinking you're some kind of messiah. Think about how much Jesus understands and how much he cares because he was conceived out of wedlock to a teenage mother, scandalous. He lives in a small town where everyone whispers about him. He's criticized, ridiculed, Listen to me, Jesus was bullied, tempted by the devil at his weakest moments and never gave in to sin. He experienced the death of a close friend and cried over that death. He grieved the loss of family members. Jesus was accused of things he did not do. His friends betrayed him. And worst of all, he felt abandoned by God on the cross. When he said, why have you forsaken me? And he felt that. It wasn't true that he was abandoned, but God is so holy that he could not look on the sin that was taking place. And the Bible says the father turned his back. And Jesus felt abandoned. If you've ever felt like you could not reach the presence of God and no one understands and no one gets you, whatever it is you feel, maybe even things you're afraid to express that you feel, wherever you hurt, Jesus also hurt. He not only understands, he identifies. We say things like, if you could just walk a mile in their shoes, you would get it. You would understand. I may not be able to walk a mile in your shoes, and you may never walk a mile in my shoes, but I promise you, Jesus has already been in your shoes. You have a high priest that understands, cares, and identifies. Give him a clap right there that he cares and he understands. I may not get you, and you may not get me, but Jesus gets us all. He understands us. He's experienced all the pain that comes along with being a human, all the emotion of being rejected, All the agony of hurting and feeling alone and feeling abandoned. Imagine, if you can, the details of God. God born in the form of a child who loves you, who cares about you, and in his divine providence sent wise men known as magi to offer gifts prophetically declaring the nature of Jesus to come. Gold, he is our king. 
myrrh, he is the suffering servant. And frankincense, he is our high priest who offered his own body as a sacrifice and he has sat down at the right hand of Father. Remember the two functions is they make a sacrifice, Jesus sacrificed himself and they offer up prayers. And as our high priest right now, whatever you're going through, you have a high priest who is making intercession for you day and night. Don't leave this building thinking no one understands and no one cares because Jesus paid too big of a price for you to believe the lie of the enemy that no one loves you, no one cares about you, no one gets you. Jesus totally gets you, totally loves you, totally mad and crazy about you, and he'll do anything in his power to help you comprehend how vast, how broad, how wide, how deep his love is. He'll go to any lengths to demonstrate it to you. Thank you, worship team. You guys can stand. It'd be a good time to just stand. Told you I wasn't going to preach long, but we're going to get to it. Watch this. Man, I am so pumped about the Word of God right now. In Hebrews, we read the first two of this in 14 and 15. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. In verse 16, here it is. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. How is this possible? Because his justice has been satisfied on the cross And his mercy is now being extended to you and I. Which means that no matter what's going on, you can come. No matter what sin you've committed. I don't care if you were sinning last night. You got a seat at his table. His justice has been satisfied. His mercy has been extended. He says, so I want you to come knowing this, how much I love you, how much I understand you, how much I get you. I want you to understand it, he says. And so I want you to come to my throne boldly. And I thought about this this week. at My kids, when they approach me, listen to me, they don't come to the throne of Daddy Dingus. I don't have a throne, all right, just throwing it out there. When they come to me, they don't say, I beseech you, therefore, Daddy. I come so humbly to you and I just hope you would grant me they come boldly do you know why they know how much I understand them they know how much I love them they they know they know Karen and I would lay our lives down for them so they don't come like some sneak into the throne room and slip a prayer under the rug and sneak out My little girl would jump up in my lap and grab both sides of my face and say, Daddy, I love you to the moon and back. And I'll say, Baby, I love you too. And then she'll go, Will you play with me? How many know? She ain't coming like, I beseech you, therefore, Daddy. She comes boldly, and I think we're missing it. That we are sons and daughters, that his justice has been satisfied, that he wants to extend mercy, but he wants us to understand what faith looks like. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
I can come as a son, as a daughter into his presence and I can, I can open up my heart to him. I don't have to say a bunch of words just to pass the time to maybe if I say the magic formula and I get this prayer just right. No, he says, come boldly to the throne of what? The throne not of judgment, the throne of grace, and you will obtain mercy in the time of need. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Jesus made available, that we can approach him with boldness. So I want to give you just a few moments to think about how good God is. That even in the midst of persecution, betrayal, rejection, setbacks, things that have not gone your way, that you have someone that you can turn to today who understands and identifies, who has walked in your shoes, who has felt what you felt, that knows where your heart is, that knows the pain you carry, he not only knows it, he understands it. He, listen, somebody needs to hear this today. I know a lot of people may not get you, but Jesus gets you. He understands you. I sense the Holy Spirit because some of you have not enjoyed his presence in a long time. You've allowed shame and condemnation and guilt and sin and things from your past to keep you from enjoying the presence of your God. And God says, my justice has been satisfied. My mercy is extended. I don't care if you were in the club all night last night. God says, you got a seat at my table. I've got, I got a table prepared for you. I've got mercy that I want to extend to you. He understands the details of your life. And right now, as you're high priest, Jesus is actively praying for you. How many know this is powerful? This is life changing. This will turn our lives around. And and so I want you to come boldly if you're hurting emotionally or physically or relationally. Come to his presence with boldness. Uh, Most importantly, those of you that are in this place today, and the truth is you're not where you should be with God. You know that you've drifted. Maybe you've never really been in a real relationship with Jesus. He has paid a big price for you to know him. If you're in this place today, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around for the next couple of minutes. You say, Pastor, I'm not where I need to be with God not saved, maybe you were and you've you've drifted that relation, you have sin, you know you need his forgiveness and his grace. I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but if you say, I I don't want to leave in that condition, I want to leave knowing that I'm right with God, that I'm in relationship with God. If that is you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, that is me. Thank you for that hand back there. God bless you. Thank you for that hand. God bless you. Another one here, God bless you. So good. Anyone else? Just raise it up. Thank you for that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you for this hand. God bless you. So awesome. So awesome. We're going to pray together. At least five hands. As heads bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to give somebody another chance. There's at least five hands. I want to see if there's anybody else that would say, I, want to be, I, don't, I don't want this moment to pass me up. I want to be a part of it. Anyone else? 
You say, that's me. Thank you for that hand. God bless you. I see that. And that hand, God bless you. That is so good. Come on, church. You can do better celebrating than that. This is good stuff. This is good news right here. Seven people coming into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. I want us to pray together. Every, every voice lifted. We don't want them to pray alone. Everybody together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me for all my sins. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give a homecoming praise right now. So good. Woo! It's what it's all about. I want to transition for just a moment. As you know, you got the communion elements on your way in. And I want to say to you, as we receive communion, Pastor Charles and I were having a conversation before service, and I have always preached, and when I, when I you know, did this moment with communion, I've always taken it on um, not as a religious act. I think most of us have been around communion and it be a religious thing. Um, but the early church, do you know this was the primary way healing flowed? There's like one verse where it called the elders and come to, and yeah, and we do that. But the primary way in which people were healed of their sicknesses was observing the Lord's body. This is it. Like, I believe with all my heart that as we receive communion, sick bodies will be healed. It says that if we discern the Lord's body appropriately, we'll be healed. That's the scripture. That if we don't discern the Lord's body, then we get sick and we die early. So this is not a religious thing we're going through. And listen, those of you that was raised in the church and the preacher's voice got real deep and said, now if you have, if, you, if you're not worthy, probably be better that you don't do this. Well, they've misconstrued the words and they've made it all about you. It's not about your worthiness. He was saying discern the Lord's body. Jesus was perfect. He's worthy. So he invites you to the table in your messed up self. I'm still messed up as a pastor. I don't always get it right. Thank God for Jesus. Come on, somebody thank God for Jesus. I know you can't clap, you got a communion, but thank God for Jesus. So it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take the bread. Jesus, we thank you for the body, your body, that was broken for us. It says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You can take the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, in your own words, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In your own words, come on, just just begin to speak out your praise to Jesus now. Just communicate to him what you're thankful for. God, we're thankful for your body and the blood. God, we're thankful that you have provided our healing, our deliverance. We thank you, God, that not only physical healing, but God, emotional healing. God, those that have carried in into this room this morning depression and anxiety. God, that you can free us from, the, from those thoughts. God, that it is your will that our joy be full. So God, we just release the joy of the Lord in this place. I pray over every mind, especially in this season that is so difficult for so many. God, I pray that they would find spiritual significance in your presence. God, in this season, unlike at any time before, I pray, Father, that we would see you and, God, that we would be brought back to the light. Over, as PK said on first Wednesday, over and over, that we would come back to the light. That when we want to drift, when we want to get off base, when we want to be pushed into anxiety or fear or depression or, or the wrong thoughts, God, let us, let us be centered on you in this season and what you have made available to us. Thank you for your sacrifice, for taking our place. You are so worthy of praise. I'm going to ask this worship team to come and get in place and be prepared. I'm getting ready to walk off the stage. I want the prayer team to come and get in place. But can we worship during this last song and give God the kind of worship that he deserves, knowing that he really is the great high priest who has made a way for us? Before we sing and pray for people, can you give Jesus the highest praise you have all day? Come on, lift up a praise today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.